Hello, hello, hello. I am your Nikki Tran, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to. Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Hey there, and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most, is Munoz, and folks... I can't say it enough, and you're probably tired of hearing it, but whoever is controlling this time and space continuum, it's moving too fast for me. We are at the end of September. It's the end of September. How did we get here? How did we? Oh, my God. I just saw the funniest thing on the internet, (laughs) and my guests will have to chime in about this if they want to. Um, Somebody, I, I guess this is old, but there's this game show where Somebody asked somebody uh, what follows the Deborah Cox line. How did you get here? And the response was, bitch, I took the bus. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to be here. So now I can't unhear that <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I've been laughing all day about this. Maybe I'm late, but... um That's something that's bringing me joy today. What is bringing y'all out there joy today? Something else that's bringing me joy today is actually Food & Wine released their uh, best new chefs in 2022. And the vast variety of beautiful faces on this list. Shout out to Melissa Miranda, Calvin Eng, Caroline Schiff. Uh, Damar Brown, Emily Riddell, Tim Flores, and Jeannie Kwan, Anna Castro, Warda Bugataya, I hope I didn't butcher that name, Rob Ruba, looking cute as hell, Justin Piche Trungisi, if I said that right. Um, shout out to y'all for making this list. I love the just beautiful faces I'm seeing here. If any of you are of the LGBTQ nature, please come on the pod and talk to me because I'm obsessed. I am obsessed. Other than that, um, I have to shout out Amazon Music because Amazon Music is showing me the most love these days with promoting me and I'm all over the place on their site and whatnot from what I've seen and from what people have sent me. So that's super, super exciting. Yes, it's exciting for me, but also, if y'all don't realize, you know, yes, this is my podcast, but I'm here to amplify LGBTQ food voices. So a win for me is a win and amplification for the LGBTQ food community because, you know, we don't have a platform to tell these stories. So it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal that somebody like Amazon Music reached out to promote me, right? Because it goes way beyond me. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Amazon Music. And other than that, I want to get to the getting on because I am really excited for today's guest, y'all. I hope you're ready for the one, the only, please don't be welcome, Kim Fam, say hi. Hi. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Let's Hi, like Gorge. let's get into it. <laughs> I'm I'm obsessed. I am obsessed, obsessed, <laughs> obsessed. I I'm so excited to have you here. Um uh in your mouth, listeners, I slid into her company's DMs because I've just been a big follower and a stan as the young kids say and all of the above and I got some I got my hands on some of her product through um through a collab or a partnership somebody sent me something from somewhere that they were partnering with and then I saw some at Whole Foods and then I was like this I this couldn't be more delicious. This couldn't be more delicious. So I slid in and then we were talking I was talking with their social media person and then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, let me just shoot my shot here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Emma, who runs the social media, or I think it was Emma, was like, oh, yes, Kim, and you need to vibe and Kiki. So I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. This feels so, I mean, I love talking queerness. I love talking culture. I love talking food. So this is the intersection of all my favorite things. Yes, these are a few of my favorite <laughs> things. Listen, Kim, before we get anywhere, I got to do what I got to do. And so in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you happy National Drink a Beer Day. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Sure. Sure. If we can't must. tell you the last time I had a beer. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm trying to cut back on all the booze intake. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes if I go out, um, you know, because sometimes like water won't cut it. So I'm like, fine, I'll order like a Bud Light or something like that because I know I'm going to be full and yeah. that like sour, bitter taste. I just don't want anything else after it, you know? <laughs> I love that you're like, I'm going to suffer through it so I don't have to keep doing it. Yeah, well, it's one way to get by, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of, I'm trying to live like a sober, curious lifestyle. And so if I do drink, I love like the low ABV cocktails or like, you know, the seltzers, but beer, it's been a while and I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, listen, <laughs> a high noon, not a sponsor, delicious, <laughs> yes. you know, a hundred calories, yeah. even... Even when I do the sober months, like um, I don't do dry January because my birthday's in January and it's impossible. Um, but uh, when I do sober months, uh, that that Heineken Double Zero, delicious. Mm, tastes like okay. tastes like beer water, you know. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> beer water just made my soul like shiver. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, you're in luck, Kim, because it's a double day today and I don't make these things up, right? I also need to wish you happy national strawberry cream pie day. Okay. This I vibe with. This I can get behind. I'm celebrating this day today. Yes. Love that. Strawberry cream pie. Now, yeah, when cute. I when I discovered this, I feel like I've done this, this celebration before. And so I, I was literally Googling when the last time... Um, today was like in the past years because I or I don't know I just I feel like I've done this before I'm or maybe the time and space continuum is moving too fast and I'm and I just can't keep up <laughs> again but like I feel like I had this conversation with somebody else on the pod for these two days because I didn't I specifically remember being like is strawberry cream pie a thing you know, th these are some these are some hard hitting questions that you're asking. Right? I don't think I've ever had a strawberry cream pie. I mean, it sounds delicious. It does, right? Like it, it, it conceptually, I'm not mad at it. No, banana cream pie. Yeah. Ice ice box cake. Like these are like those creamy like like soft things, yeah. desserts. Like yeah, but I sweet. mean, yeah, yeah, delicious. I mean, <laughs> or are we making that with like some strawberry quick, or is it like? actual strawberry you know i would hope it's actual strawberry i would hope or maybe like a yeah. strawberry syrup moment listen being from two diverse cultural backgrounds right there <laughs> some of our ancestors <laughs> and grandparents have have really pulled some stunts in in using some <laughs> not yep. real products to make some yep. really delicious things yep okay <laughs> and i'm never mad at it never mad not at it. mad you know, mm -mm. that Jollibee mango pie, if you've ever had it, <gasps> delicious. 
So good. Oh, my mother has definitely used like artificial pandan flavoring and I'm not mad at it. You know, no, why would we green. be? Why is it bright green? You don't ask questions. You know, <laughs> don't ask. As long as it tastes good, exactly. we're here for it. <laughs> well, no matter what you celebrate today, whether it's National Drink of Beer Day, Beer Water Day, <laughs> or National Strawberry Cream Pie Day, we celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, Kim, did you know, and this one's a doozy, that in 1292, yes, you heard right. In the year 1292, in Ghent, in present-day Belgium, John, a knife maker, is sentenced to be burned at the stake for having sex with another man. This is the first documented execution for sodomy in Western Europe. Oh, oh, what a what a dark, what a dark day in queer history. (laughs) Right? Oh, and it hasn't stopped. It really hasn't. I mean, you figure as a knife maker, like I hope. I hope for his sake, John, that you put up a good mother I'm, I'm sure freaking fight. You know? I'm sure he did. Didn't, <laughs> like, I'm just picturing blazing. swords and like, you know what? If I'm going, I'm going in a blaze, a bloody blaze at least, you know? <laughs> wow, 1292. I like can't even understand that. Yeah, right? Wow. Like, I don't know where where the lavender effect found this little factoid, but... I appreciate them for it, but I want to get to the getting on. And you know what? Shout out. We're going to pour one out for you today, John. Right. Yeah. However rip. you, however you were, your soul was reincarnated. Okay. That, that's yes. how I want to leave that one. But I really want to get to the getting on. And in your mouth, listeners, if you don't know, and I'm pretty sure you probably already do. Kim is a longtime human of the internet. She is the co-founder of Amsam, a proud and loud Asian food brand that she runs with her sister as Vietnamese daughters of refugees. Kim is also a lifestyle dom and BDSM educator who cares deeply about making kink thoughtful and inclusive. 60,000 followers on TikTok, y'all, just to drop that number. Mm -mm. (laughs) She cares deeply about the reclamation of Asian cuisines and stories, sex positivity in modern society, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Kim? One of my favorite things is because a lot of the times I have to doctor people's uh, bios for... (laughs) For the pod, this needed no, no no doctoring. This was perfect <laughs> as you. <laughs> Yay! Oh, that makes me happy to hear. I don't even know where to begin. Lies, <laughs> actually, I know exactly where to begin because we have a lot to cover here. I, I really want to know how one goes from like you know startups and writing to to a dom BDSM <laughs> trainer to starting a, 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 an Asian cuisine brand uh, with her sister <laughs> to queen of, like, the, the, the heart beauty mark. Like, how, take me through this journey. How does journey. this happen? How does that happen? Because I'm so, obsessed. It's actually not as disparate as it sounds. So I'm going to try and, like, do the TLDR version. But essentially, about five years ago, I got out of a really lovely but long-term vanilla relationship with a cishet man. And it was one of those things where I was in my early 20s. I got out of it and I was like, oh my gosh, like, who am I? I've kind of spent the last, you know, couple of years post-university kind of in this relationship that was really powerful and, and loving. But, you know, I think a lot of folks leave those types of situations and they're like, who the hell am I? And so as part of that kind of like introspective process, I actually, I remember going to a bar in London where I was living at the time with my moleskin notebook. And I think I had a pint of beer. Yes, she used to drink beer. Uh, Bringing it full circle. Yep, yep, here we go. National Um, Drink Beer Day. (laughs) And I literally would, I wrote down everything that I thought I knew about myself and then went through each of those things line by line to determine whether or not those pieces were mine or they were given to me by society or inherited to me by my culture, the patriarchy, white supremacy, etc. And through that process, realized a couple of things that have all led me to where I am right now sitting with you, which one of the first things was actually realizing my bisexuality. Because for a long time, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm straight. And like, yeah, 
I've been attracted to femininity and I had partners who were super biphobic who were like, yeah, but you only like that when you're drunk or like, yeah, but you've never dated a girl. And I think removing myself from that relationship gave me the clarity to be like, oh, oh no, this is, this is actually something. And so came out. Next after that was, uh, the, the line was, oh, I'm submissive. And I was like, I don't know if I actually am. And I wonder if that thought was given to me by being an Asian woman of color, where the messages that we receive through movies, through porn, um, through culture in general, tell us that Asian women and our bodies are meant to be reaped and harvested by largely white men. Okay, that was like the second piece. And then the third piece was just around like being kind of submissive in all of the ways. Um, And I realized that I had internalized a lot of the model minority myth around Asian Americans being flattened, silenced, erased, you know, quiet. And that's when I was like, you know what? No, like I want to be proud and loud in all the ways. I want to be proud to be a BDSM enthusiast and now a dominatrix. I want to be proud about being a bi woman. I also want to be proud about my Asian identity and my heritage, in particular, my Asian American identity and heritage, which I think is really unique and, and kind of separate. And so it was literally all of that kind of introspection and learning about myself that led me to starting a very proud and loud Asian food brand that is unapologetic about our flavors, about our stories. Also and delicious. About, and, and delicious. And delicious. And, and, and I mean, and it's not because you're on this pod. I have to interrupt you because it's so fucking <laughs> delicious. I'm, I'm and so happy to hear that. In your mouth, listeners, I don't, I don't speak out of the left side of my mouth. Like <laughs> it, it also doesn't behoove me to say negative things about people, but I wouldn't have invited you here if it oh. wasn't. It's so delicious. Anyways, we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. Keep going. I'm yeah. so sorry. Like I have, I have goosebumps. Oh, oh <laughs> it's my god! Good. It's so good. Yes, yeah, so that was like that was. It's like proud and loud Asian flavors, Asian stories. I also really wanted to be unapologetically like a queer Southeast Asian wom- a woman. I haven't seen. I didn't have a ton of figures like that growing up, and so I was like, all right, like my coming out is going to be public. I'm choosing that right because I have privilege and a platform. So I would like to kind of tell my story. And then the last piece was around sex positivity and how much joy and healing and connection that kink and BDSM in particular has brought me. So, you know, she's really living proud and loud in all of the ways, like all of the ways. And all from that one moleskin, not a sponsor, notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. And like, everyone's like, oh, that's so interesting. You left this relationship. You know, do you have any bad blood against that person? I'm like, literally none. Like that person was a really... We went through a really transformative time together, but our uncoupling gave me everything. Yeah, yeah. And what a and what a great like little life lesson or tidbit, like as we as a lot of us, right? Um, if you're listening on the east coast of America or where are wherever you are, are going through maybe a seasonal change, right? Um, mm-hmm. and taking an introspective look at what is next as as I ha- was talking about this time and space continuum moving way too fast for me, right? And and a lot of change even happening in my life. Like, what a great way to introspectively take take a look, take a look and and be like, okay, this is what I know about myself. And then this is what's true. And this is what may not be true or may not be factual, you know? Yeah. And right? like, it was definitely a, a season. It was like a, a, a former season of my life. And as I was walking into this next season, I was like, I really want to be intentional because I think for a lot of my life, and that's totally fine, you're young, you're stupid, right? You're supposed to make kind of silly mistakes. But I think I was like, I, I, I kind of want to choose what's next for me. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely love that. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's it, it, um, how inspiring and how wonderful. Um, I want to talk about the love of food, right? Yeah. We are a food podcast after all, so, right? <laughs> And talk to me about like your love of food and where it comes from. Yeah, it definitely comes from my third culture, Asian American identity. So I'm first gen Vietnamese American. My parents are refugees of the Vietnam War. So I grew up in a town just south of Boston that was 98% white. And so growing up had a lot of, frankly, experienced a lot of racism, lots of feelings of being other lots of shame as it relates to not just how I look, but my parents' language, like how our house smelled, and of course, our food. And as I got older, that shame, especially when I went to college, that shame started to morph slowly into pride. But 
I was away from home. I was living in New York City. I went to NYU. And so the only way that I could begin to access that part of myself again was first through food. Like when I missed home, I would go get a bowl of pho. And so I think for Vanessa and I, Vanessa's my sister, um, we both kind of realized like, damn, food is something really deep for a lot of first and second gen kids. Like it's not just consumption to stay alive. It is actually our way of staying close to our heritage and our roots. And so food just became so much more than functional. It became like, yeah, like part of our identity. Yeah, I totally get that in the sense of me being Puerto Rican and, you know, the the taste of home, yeah. you know, um, to but to like really kind of strip it down to like, you know, it's yeah. it's the basics of it, the taste of home, feeling close to home, um, things that remind you of home. I had a really interesting conversation with Chef John Kung a while ago. Yeah. Beautiful Chef John Kung. Um <laughs> that um, about third culture cuisine and yeah. um, diaspora diaspora cuisine and diaspora culture and whatnot. And um, it's one of my favorite conversations to have, actually, because I don't think the general populace really actually thinks, like, thinks about it. That, like, mm. this, is, this is the food of, that has traveled, you know? This is the food right. that, right? Great. We went to Hanoi House and the pho is amazing. Amazing. But like, how did this get here? You know? <laughs> and yeah. and why why is this so amazing? Why is this like like it's just uh it's it's so good and so and so just reminiscent of home, you know? Yeah. Um I my in a, my other in my other career besides this podcast, I work for a uh, wonderful Korean American woman, and she and I um, often get into a conversation about rice right? <laughs> and our love of rice. Yeah. That we can eat rice all day long, every day. I mean, so much so that there used to be rice always on the counter that we had to put the we had to put the machine away because <laughs> we were we were like marathon carb loading at one point. You know what I mean? Totally. And it was like, and it was this beautiful and a way for us to like kind of connect cross-culturally because we both come from rice cultures yeah. you know um albeit a little different but the same um of like coming together through food in yeah. that way of like what is it what is it about like this the simplest thing that is so delicious hmm yeah, rice in particular is like this really unique unifier of meals and of families and of cultures. Like I, I think that about rice and I think that about mango, right? Like mango, <laughs> mango means <laughs> like, so much yes. to so many different communities. And it's real. I just, there's very few things like it. But I was actually on a first date the other week and the date asked me, he's like, all right, you have to pick between rice and noodle. You can only have one for that. And I, I, immediately I was like, oh, rice, duh. And he's like, no, no, no. But we count pasta as noodle. We count sweet potato noodles as noodle. And he's like, with rice, you can't alter it. It just has to stay as like grained rice. And it, it pushed my thinking, honestly. It pushed my love for rice. I still choose rice. Really? Yeah. Like rice, I mean, as long as I could have my Puerto Rican rice. Or yeah. Even, or even like, listen. Um, or you can have uh, any kind of rice. It just has to stay in the grain. Yeah, that's I am absolutely okay with that. This is part of that conversation that I have uh, with my employer in the sense of, you know what, we both like Italian food, but if there's like an Italian or like some a rice dish, it's interesting, right? And I think I think it's just the call to feeling like culturally connected to yeah. home. But it has to be good rice. <laughs> yes, of course. Nothing is worse. Nothing is worse than mushy Nothing rice. Nothing is worse than bad <sighs> rice. Oh, my God. Talk to me about, you know, you are an icon of food these days, right? I, I, I you're dub so, thee. You're so generous. <laughs> I, I dub thee. You are all over the place. In your mouth, listeners, when Kim and I came on, right, and we greeted each other, we hadn't met before, I the first thing I said to her was, I feel like I already know you because I see so much of you, right? <laughs> and even before I followed you mm -hmm. on on the gram, I was seeing you. You know, you were you were just 
out there. And I was like, oh, I don't know who this person is, but I love them. <laughs> you know what I mean? We often talk on this podcast about how our queerness relates to the food, the food we're making, mm. the food we're selling, the food, uh, queer food in general. Do you think there's a cross correlation and queer food is a thing? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, it's almost for me impossible to extricate like my queerness, my identity, my cultural identity, and what I'm doing as a human. Like, I think for me, what has been the most exciting as it relates to my queerness and food is unlocking multitudes. Like, I think a lot about that word multitudes a lot because I think for so long in food and in history, we've been given very singular ideas of what, like, especially Asian food should look like or what queerness looks like. And I've, been so excited to kind of play within that idea of multitudes because of like, you know, we use titles and um, names to categorize, right? And I, and I understand it, right? Like I am a queer Southeast Asian woman of color. I am also a founder. I'm a dominatrix. Blah, blah, blah. Like we use these titles to help us categorize things. But I've just been so excited to see folks like, yes, honor and celebrate these titles, the origins, where it comes from, all of that, but also make room for the multitudes that can be. And like, I'm, I feel like Amsam is very much doing that with Asian American food of like, we don't have to live and die by super rigid ideas of authenticity. Like we can have fun with Asian American food. We can be creative with it. We can innovate on it. And I feel the same way about my queerness. Like, I feel like TikTok has been really eye-opening for me to show this whole new generation who are openly, actively defining their queerness for themselves. And that has completely inspired me to like be proud and loud about my own bisexuality. Because I felt like for so long, there were very clear striations within the queer community. It's like, you're lesbian and you're gay. And that was it, right? And I feel like this whole new generation is really breaking open all of these different modes of being. And I see that happening in food as well. And I just, I'm like, fuck, I want to like light that on fire. Like keep on doing that. Like, there's no one way to be queer. There's no one way to eat this type of food. Like, let's just play. And that yeah. I actually think is like queer, like the heart of a lot of queerness is joy and play in the face of almost as an act of resistance. Right. And so I, yeah, multitudes, joy and play are like some of the things that I'm thinking about as it relates to queerness and my and food. Yeah, I love that answer. You know, I I love the question, um, and I've been asking it for quite some time, thanks to Michael Twitty, on this podcast. And the multitudes of answers and, like, the... Mm. But to be punny about it, the rainbow, the rainbow of answers that we get on this pod are sometimes funny, and sometimes people just don't know what to do with it. But, like, when when this happens, it's it's... <laughs> It's stunning. It's stunning. I kind of want to leave it there for yeah. a second because that's like a feel-good, yummy moment, right? Um, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm talking like this, but <laughs> it just feels right right now. Uh, Individual listeners, before you all shut me off, Kim uh, and I are going to take a break. We're going to have some beer water, and we're going to be back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, Kim, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Updates. Food News, Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. London Chain claims trademark on taqueria sends cease and desist to other taco restaurant. Oh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Trademarking taqueria? 
In London, I have no words. I have no words. Now, I knew this would hit close to home for the two of us. <laughs> Neither one of us being Mexican. But it's giving colonizer, like OG Like colonizer. OG colonizer, and that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, no. No. Nope. I reject that. Oh, my God. Thank you to Food & Wine, who's not a sponsor, for always keeping me in the know for most of my food news. Um, so a restaurant named Taqueria was granted a trademark for the word nearly two decades ago. And now they've sent another Mexican restaurant a cease and desist letter simply for using the term Taqueria in their name. Sonora Taqueria says they received a 20-page letter from Worldwide Taqueria the ownership group behind London's two taqueria restaurants, accusing Sonora of trademark infringement, according to Eater London. That is literally wild. So the article goes on to say, right, Kim, get this. And I kind of, I kind of get it that, like, Mexican restaurants weren't a thing 20 years ago, mm-hmm. really, in London. So when somebody went to trademark sure. it, like, the trademark board was like, sure. <laughs> Right. Like, what is that? You know, <laughs> what? <laughs> Somebody do your homework. Um, but now it's this thing. And so the Sonora might win. Where is this, though? Um, Sonora might win because it's a descriptive, mm. you know? Yeah. I feel like they should win based on just like the prevalence of that term now. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, she's not a lawyer, so. <laughs> no, neither am I. And, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the use of the word taqueria is descriptive and non distinctive. That's, mm. that's what uh, Sonora's owners are relying on. And that's what it is it describes a type of food. Yeah. You know? So, like, how can, that's like, descri- that's like um, trying to ch- trademark pizzeria. Can right. you imagine if I trademarked Pizzeria in New York City? The amount of people I could shut down? That literally makes no sense to me. But we 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 are not here. We we're not we're here not. for this. I don't, I don't think we're here for this. Sonora Taqueria, we wish you the best. <laughs> and worldwide, uh, whatever you are, give it really, yeah. really queen. Really. Yeah. Let it go. Let <laughs> like, it go. Let it go. The FDA has officially responded to all those jokes about NyQuil chicken on TikTok. Wait, what now, happened? Now, we have to talk about this for two we do. reasons. A, NyQuil chicken, and B, you're TikTok famous. So, <laughs> I guess not. I'm not in this type of... Have you not heard about this? It's all over the news these days. Oh my gosh, no. Wait, what? what? So apparently NyQuil chicken has been around for quite some time. Right? Like, I don't know, since like 07 or something. What is NyQuil chicken? It's basically marinating. So They call it sleepy time chicken. It's marinating chicken in some over-the-counter or some NyQuil or some (gasps) NyQuil, which we we hear it in your mouth and Kim and everybody behind her as well. Do not recommend. (laughs) That is cursed. And then cooking it. But apparently this was a joke that nobody allegedly was really doing. And since it has resurfaced here and there, and apparently now it has come into the FDA's, like, site. On their and desk. And so on their desk, it came across, you know, some person's desk, and they were like, oh, my God. But the issue is now they brought more light to the subject. Oh, no. So now people are like, do we try this chicken? Do we not try this chicken? Don't try the chicken, y'all. But, like... <laughs> I have some thoughts. I'm just going to put them out there. One, I'm sure you burn off any of the medicinal blarg blarg. Nope. No. Nope. nope. And then this two, is why. This is what. Wait. Hold. Hold right there. According to the FDA, boiling a medication can make it much more concentrated <gasps> and change its properties in other ways. The agency oh. wrote, even if you don't eat the chicken. Inhaling the medication's <gasps> vapors while cooking could cause high levels of the drugs to enter your body. It also could hurt your lungs. Put simply, someone could take a dangerously high amount of the cough and cold medicine without realizing it. 
Okay. I'm Science sure the gays, has proved me wrong. I'm sure the gays out there are like, girl, please. You know how many <laughs> poppers and other things I we're know. shoving up? <laughs> They're like, Mike Will Chicken yeah. ain't a thing. <laughs> the second thing that I will say is that as a chef or as someone who's like a very enthusiastic home cook, like I just feel like cooking with NyQuil would get syrupy. It would burn really quickly. It would glaze in a really weird way. Like even from a functional standpoint, I'm just yeah. not fully here for it. Also, <laughs> if you want, if you want like that, like Dimetap NyQuil taste, right? That like uh, artificial yeah. grape taste. Oh. Why wouldn't you on your chicken, right? Why wouldn't you, A, either use some Welch's grape juice. Right. Right? Same difference, right? Without the, without the drugs. <laughs> and, and take a melatonin afterwards after yeah. you consult your doctor. Like, <laughs> do we need to save that much time that you're like, I need to combo chicken plus medicine? Like, yes. you're fine. Just or why sleep. don't you just make turkey instead? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Eat turkey and some grapes. I'm very glad I'm not on the side of TikTok. I'm very glad. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Do you have a favorite cough medicine? I am partial to Robitussin because I like the way it tastes. Um, I don't think I, I like contact. I don't know if they do cough medicine, but I'm a big they, contact girly. They um because I like cherry flavored things sometimes mm. because they taste like cough medicine. <laughs> like some like wild cherry things like taste yeah, like cough yeah, medicine. Yeah, yeah. And I I like it because I hated it growing up as a child and now like kind mm. of remember. Once again, reminds me of home. Wow, you're like, let me reclaim this. Love that. <laughs> Love that for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Something else. We're we're two for two. We're not here for yeah, this either. No. Please do not do this. Do not do this. Don't even bother looking it up. Don't give it any attention. It's nope. just it's just hot topics, and I I I feel left out. You know, I feel real FOMO if we're, I wasn't talking about it. And last but not least, Kim, this Fiesta flask holds tequila on one side and hot sauce on the other. Okay, so I'm not fully mad at that. I mean, what's there to be mad at? I, I'm curious about the application. Are you drinking both at the same time in the same volume? No. No, 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 no. This is a collab between Cama, Camarena Tequila and Ooh. Tapatio Hot Sauce. <gasps> oh, fun. So it's a uh, tequila and hot sauce flask. And it's split down the middle, allowing... Um, taco lovers to bring their tequila and hot sauce in one handheld accessory. Okay, and so that's to avoid really cute. to avoid any confusion, each side features a clear window panel to reveal its contents labeled with tequila here, hot sauce here, assuring you don't get the two liquids mixed up and dole out the wrong liquid in the wrong situation. Now this is where they went wrong, I think. Because mm. Who doesn't like a spicy margarita? That's what I'm saying. I thought it was like a combo situation. Yeah, like why wouldn't you do that? Why that wouldn't would be you really combo nice. the both? Either mm-hmm. on your taco or in your drink. Or in your if drink. You drink. Like what? I, I think that was a missed opportunity. I think that was I, a missed I agree. opportunity. I agree. Like do it. Fine. Have the labels there. But like why don't we encourage people to explore if they, if they have the flask anyway? Yeah, I would have wanted them to go full send on yeah, that. And absolutely. they they kind of took it there and then they walked back a couple steps. <laughs> so, but overall, like I'm not mad at that. No. Why why would we why would we <laughs> why would we be mad at that? Also, funny story, when I was a young actor, when I was a young warthog, um, you know, pounding the pavement to be on the Broadways, and <laughs> I had no money and um, you know, uh work studying at Broadway Dance Center. Well, all I was was working because I couldn't afford to study. Um, I'd go out to the bars and I would hide a flask down my pants <laughs> and I'd, ha- I'd have nuts or something in my like coat pocket because I was too poor to afford the drinks at the gay bar. Oh. And so I'd go to the bathroom to drink. Also, don't do this, folks. I don't recommend... (laughs) This is not a recommendation. (laughs) This is just life experience when (laughs) when I was young, a young broke actor. (laughs) (laughs) Do 
you have anything like that? Did you have to, like navigating New York City when you're young is an interesting beast? Is all I'm saying. I mean, so I went to college here, and so I feel like. Oh, I mean, I would just do the thing where you're like, okay, we're going to go out. We don't want a paper coat check. So I was that girl shivering oh, and meatpacking. Fuck the coat check. Fuck we'd the play coat that, check. We'd play that all the time. I'd be the girl shivering in like her tiny little Band-Aid dress and heels. Yep. And then we would do that thing where we would chug like shots of like the most bottom shelf vodka so that we didn't have to pay for drinks. So, you know what? I've been there. <laughs> I've definitely been there. <laughs> We have been there and we are here for this. And you hear that ambulance? That ambulance is going to save somebody (laughs) from that NyQuil chicken. I hope not. (laughs) And with that, that's the best way to end. Food news update. Yeah. (laughs) Whoever whoever they're going to save, I hope they get there. But... Oh, Jesus, you got to go back to the office and be like, um, this bitch was so crazy. <laughs> but speaking about good things to, do- to put on your chicken, right? <laughs> Let's talk about this Amsom journey of yours and how obsessed I am with the, whole, with, the whole, with the whole thing. And I think, where did the idea come from? Let's just start there. Yeah, I mean, it was... A combination of consumer research and also like gut. So on the consumer research side, Vanessa and I spent a whole summer before we even knew what Amsam was going to be, before we even called it Amsam, literally interviewing hundreds of people about Asian food in their life. I think we surveyed at least 500 folks. We got on the phone with over 100 of them. And then 50 of them, we actually went into their homes, obviously pre-COVID, went into their homes and watched them like research and cook Asian food. And through that process, I think we learned a lot, which is, if I can boil it down, one, everybody loves Asian food, regardless of whether or not you're Asian. But everybody faces kind of unique barriers when it comes to cooking Asian food. So for Asian people like myself, who maybe grew up with these flavors, know them and love them, they feel a lot of um, kind of intimidation around cooking family recipes and even trying to get recipes from your parents is a hassle because I know I call my mom for recipes and she's like, a little bit of fish sauce. And you're like, is that a, a teaspoon or like a cup? Like, what does that mean? And then for non-Asian folks, it's like, all right, I love this type of food. I get it for delivery or takeout, but I don't even know where to start when it comes to cooking these flavors at home because one, maybe I don't have access to an Asian supermarket. And two, even if I do, there's seven different kinds of soy sauce. I have no idea which one to pick. I grab, you know, a bottle of hoisin sauce only to use a tablespoon of it and then it goes into the back of my fridge. Like we basically realize like, wow, what people struggle with when it comes to Asian food is not getting the chicken or getting the bok choy per se. It's getting the foundational flavor right. And so that consumer research really gave us the heart to then be like, you know what, full send, like we're going to start a proud and loud Asian food brand whose first product to market is all about unlocking these Asian dishes in under 20 minutes in like the average American home. I love that. I and love so yeah, that. that's like kind of our little packet format was born. Yeah. You know what? You, you, gave, you were like, listen, Rachel Ray. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we see you and we raise the ante here because... This make your own takeout, ain't it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We got to I mean, do that's this. Because, like, honestly, I think there's lots of like quote unquote Asian sauces in the quote unquote ethnic category or ethnic aisle in the supermarket. Yes. But I think a lot of Americans, regardless of whether or not they're Asian, are starting to be educated. They're getting savvier about Asian flavors because they're going to restaurants. They're watching original programming on Netflix, like Ugly Delicious and Street Food, like people are starting to recognize and understand what kind of food that is quote unquote legit tastes like. And the existing options in the grocery store and the mainstream grocery store are like not cutting it. That and then you get lemongrass home and you're like, what do I do with this? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm Vietnamese. I literally cook with lemongrass a lot and it's still a hassle sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The journey... The, it's it's stunning, and like I said, I've been a big stand for quite some time, uh, dare I say the beginning. But the journey, as I understand it, has been vast, right? Because you're very forthcoming, all of you, your entire team is just the, how did we get here, all of the Deborah Cox. The journey, yes, has been vast, but 
And I love the way you share your story. I'm curious about what it's like to not only be, or what the struggle was as not only a woman trying to start up or women trying to start this thing, but Asian women and a queer woman, right? With like, if you research you, all all your stuff is out there, you know? Yeah. Like, what what was that journey like, right? Uh, were, were there a lot of hurdles or were you like, you know what? We got this. Peace out. Gay pride. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish it was that easy. Uh, obviously it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, if I'm being honest with you, we still face many of these challenges still today. And, and you know, we're in every single Whole Foods in the nation and still as a brand, the sort of like, how do I say this? the inequity that is sown into our society and our country continues to show itself in different ways every day. So I think in the beginning of our journey, it was very much like trying to fundraise from, frankly, like the gatekeepers, the financial gatekeepers in this country are largely older white institutions. So that was like a big struggle was us just trying to be like, look, we are daughters of refugees. We have no generational wealth. And so we really actually need to fundraise very early on to be able to have a shot at this business versus other founders, you know, might have had a rich uncle who wrote them like a 200K check to get their first batch going. But I poured my entire life savings into this business at 25, 26, which was not a lot. And even then, Vanessa and I were like, you know, food production at scale is very expensive. We we had to fundraise. So that was like its own journey. And now, like, I think even as a brand that is much bigger, we still face issues. Like, so for example, we are always going to, without a doubt, be put in that quote unquote ethnic aisle, which is just wild to me because that ethnic aisle has not changed since I believe the 1940s, 1950s. And it perpetuates an incredibly antiquated view of how Americans eat, but also who Americans are. That like the only reason why we have that ethnic aisle is so that the food ingredients and products from communities of color that are not Greek or Italian (laughs) pretty much go into this aisle and it's just the food this- the food emporium down the block it's labeled mexican food and it's yeah. not even it's not even all mexican there's like goya products there like it's, and it's like it's, wait it's what incredibly flawed naming and i you know and to their credit i think a lot of grocery chains are realizing this but again like we just play on different playing field level. I don't know. She's clearly not a sports girl, but she's trying to use a sports (laughs) metaphor. Um, It's just a completely different playing field. And and even when we think we make progress, I'm like, oh, damn, you know, things are stacked against us in different ways. I also, though, will acknowledge the immense privilege that Vanessa and I have been granted. Like, yes, we are women of color, but we do benefit from model minority myth, which is its own fucking thing, right, as Asian-Americans. Yes, we are daughters of refugees, but our parents were really, really hard to put us through pretty top-tier universities. Vanessa went to Harvard. I went to NYU. I do imagine that this journey would look increasingly more difficult had I been black or brown. And so it's this really interesting like, perspective where we're like, oh, life is tough, but it could be worse. But we're also trying to change these systems while being inside them because the only way that we can succeed is to somewhat play by the rules, but we're also trying to redefine the rules at the same time and live our values. Like, there are so many things that we're fucking thinking about regularly that sometimes I'm like, if I were, like, a cishet white founder, I wouldn't have to think about any of this. I would just do the job. And that in itself is already such a privilege. Like... Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's so layered. I think ultimately I'm very grateful. I'm very privileged. I'm hundred percent going to acknowledge that. And, and I think we're also trying to do something different and that is just going to be a lot of firsts that we're just going to have to come up against. So what's the key, what's the key to the success? What's the key to the motivation that keeps you going? You know, it's delusion. <laughs> Sometimes you got to live in a delusional world, honey. Smoke I, and mirrors. I genuinely, one of my friends was like, where do you get this like confidence? to?" Do? And I'm like, girl, it's delusion because the world is not made for me. And so the only way that I can continue to persist is if I make this up in my head that it's all going to be okay. Because I, I also like on a personal level, I live very openly as a dominatrix. I use my face. I use my real name. Um, and a ton of people have been like, don't you think investors are going to, you know, kind of 
you know, put that as a, ne- a negative next to you as a founder that they don't want to back when you're openly talking about sex positivity and kink. And I'm like, I have to live in my delusion because that is the only way that progress is going to be made. The win is not for me to like silence myself. The win is not for me to like contort myself to fit in these spaces. The win is for me and others like me to continue to take up space if we can and start to live in our delusion so much so that they can become the real world. That's what I believe. Yeah, So absolutely. I think it's, it's delusion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just saw Eric Adam is his name, the weatherman get fired from, yeah. from his job, right? <clears throat> for being sex positive, right? But that <sighs> was also revenge porn, right? right. Um, New York one, you need to hire him back or whatever. Get your money, Eric. We support yeah, you. Seriously. We support you and your journey. But like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not only your story is not only inspiring, but it's it's quite incredible to see and watch. And you living in this delusion, which I'm just going to call authentically you yeah. and and your team and your sister, because you're all your faces are out there. Yeah. You know, being authentically you and being in this space and in and looking like you enjoy what you do. Obviously, you mm-hmm. are enjoying what you do. Has really really shines through and it's really beautiful and it really comes through in the product. Have I been forgetful? And did we not explain what Amsam is to the general populace that didn't know what Amsam was? Did we, can, we? we can do a quick little TLDR. Yeah, let, let's do that. Just in case, just in case you missed it, tell the kids what Amsam is, right? Yeah, but besides it being delicious. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Because there's packets. I have like six packets in my Yay, fridge right now. Amazing. Okay, yeah, so... Amsam is a proud and loud Asian food brand um, started by myself and my sister. We're both first-gen Vietnamese Americans and daughters of refugees. And essentially, we craft what we call starter sauces. They are packets that have all the aromatic spices, seasonings, and oils that you need to cook a restaurant-quality Asian dish in 20 minutes. So the whole point is you just rip, pour, and you add your own kind of protein and veggies, and you have like a gorgeous dish um, in your own home. And actually, this summer, we launched into every single Whole Foods in the nation. So you can now find Amsam at any Whole Foods location. Yeah, they were on sale the other day. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need any more of these, right? But I mean, I do if you feel like sending them. But <laughs> And y'all, um, one of my favorite things and one of um, something that you put out is what kind of saucer are you or what kind of, I forget the wording you used, but it was how you used your sauces. Are you a shy, uh, are you a shy sauce person? Are you a, a, a medium user? Are you just like, you know, balls to the walls? <laughs> and let me tell you from shy to balls to the wall or however you labeled it, it was, it works. And like the flavors come through and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I can't, I can't speak good enough about about this and and this oh, product and um thanks, so you should be really proud and i'm sure you are you don't need me to tell you <laughs> this but like you should be really proud of what you created because not there's one thing about something being delicious there's another thing about it being or it um calling to being authentically mm. delicious yeah i think does that make sense because 100 percent because it's the chili, the one I had the most recent was the, and forgive me, the cra, the, the, the crapow, yeah. right? Which I order all the time from yeah. the million Thai restaurants here in <laughs> Hell's Kitchen in Midtown. And I was like, oh, I could make this at home. And I was like, this is, could this be better than what I'm eating? And it's, and, and the flavors are the same. And it's, it's just, it's great. It's great. I can't Thank say you. enough. Thank you. Yeah. It's I, so, so good. We really value cultural integrity in our products. I we try not to use the word authentic. That's probably like a whole nother yeah, yeah, conversation, yeah. right? I get, yes. Um, but we we try to use that term cultural integrity because for us it's about the process. So what we do, for those of y'all who don't know, for every single one of our products, we partner with a chef of that background to craft the sauce. And that was done very intentionally since day one because yes, Vanessa and I are Vietnamese Americans but we can't purport to tell people how to eat Filipino food, Korean food, Chinese food, et cetera. And so, of course, we have to involve these badass Asian chefs. And also, we pay them a royalty fee. So they are paid equitably for their work because I firmly believe that rising tides raise all boats. Our liberation is all tied. Like, all communities of color, our liberation is tied together. Say it again. Rising (laughs) tides raise all boats. And this is why you and I, we see each other. Yes. 
Like, that's it. Like we, it's, it, our liberation truly is all tied together and no one wins when only one person wins. And so we're trying to really build this community of badass Asian chefs who are for the culture and for third gen, sorry, third culture, first and second gen, this new wave. I'm so excited by it. Yeah, I love it. What can we look forward to? What's next? Um, so we are dropping a fun product in two weeks. I can't share too much about it, but it's going to be in line with a lot of what Amsam has done in the past around reclamation of things and ingredients that have hurt our communities or been, um, how do I say this, have been demonized. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm already with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and so we're dropping a really fun product um, in mid-October. So be on the lookout for that. But otherwise, we're just going to continue, I think, to meet Americans where they're at. So we would love to continue to expand to more brick and mortar stores beyond Whole Foods. So yeah. more to come. I love that. I love that. Um, is there going to be an, uh, like a Filipino adobo sauce in the future too? Can we get one of those? So fun fact, we actually worked on an adobo with Nicole Ponseca, who's our Filipino tastemaker. The thing with doing adobo, right, is that you need a lot of vinegar and our little packet does not allow for it right now. So we're going to try and find a way to make it work. We would love right. to. It's All one right. of my favorite dishes. It's so good. It's so <laughs> good. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I mean, what a great day and a great episode. And I'm I feel like we've we're connected and maybe maybe we need to go out for a beer water yes. since we're both in the city and like come together right now. Um speaking of come together, before we close out, see the segue? And this wasn't even planned. <laughs> I bet you the audience is kind of wondering why. I didn't ask, I didn't dive deeper into the dominatrix of it all, <laughs> right? And like, can we end with like a fun Dom story? Do you have like a fun or a crazy one that you're allowed to share? Ooh, that I'm allowed to share is probably the the caveat there. There's a lot of, I'm like, what can yeah. I share on a Well, podcast? this is, I mean, I mean, it's doctor patient, right? It's, <laughs> it's HIPAA law, I guess, for, for the Doms, right? Um, because that's, that's a private relationship. But is there is there a little yummy you could throw the audience like to close us okay. out? Okay. Okay. So this might be a little spicy, pun intended. But um, <laughs> when I was doing dom school and taking classes, I learned about a particular punishment that would be used as a sadistic dom or with a masochistic submissive involving ginger, peeled ginger where does it go oh i'm just gonna let you where does wonder it go? About that. <laughs> no my it, entire every <laughs> orifice in my body just like clenched yes <laughs> except for should. my mouth <laughs> it should so it is it's an actual thing like peeled ginger being used as like oh. a fun cheeky safe um but definitely spicy punishment oh daddy it burns <laughs> <laughs> no exactly. No. It's a thing. So now if you're, I, I can, ever since I learned that, I'm like, I can never look at ginger the same. And I love ginger. Meanwhile, but. meanwhile, it's in every packet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I'm sweating. I'm, like, I'm literally sweating. <laughs> because apparently it's like spicy, but it's not going to harm um, yeah. a delicate tissue. Okay. So, okay. so it's a spicy little, spicy little. <sighs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Whew, you know what? I'm adventurous, but I don't know if I'm that adventurous. That's that. this, you know? <laughs> like, let's, can we take it back to basics to like the under the bed tie, please, or something? <laughs> oh, my God. This has been so much fun. Kim, let the kids know where they can find you. We, we obviously know we can buy Amsam. <laughs> Um, at Whole Foods, and you can go to Omsom, that's O-M-S-O-M dot com, and find all the info there, and you could shop online. They have beautiful sets and things, but let them know where they can find you on the TikTok, where they can find you on the Instagrams. Give them all the, give them all the links. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Kim of the Internet, and you can find more about me on my website, Kim of the Internet dot com. 
I love that. I love that. And the Instagram for Amsam is at Amsam, yes. right? That's yes. That's uh, that's a no brainer. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people need things just like spelled out for them. You know, in your mouth, listeners. Um, go show Kim and Amsam all the love. I'm, I'm obsessed, and I can't say it enough. Um, it's really changed. Um, it's really changed the way I cook as a busy person with multiple jobs in New York City um, who, yes, I am a content creator. Yes, you see recipes on my thing. But like when I need quick and easy and I'm really, really busy, this is this is a great way to like kind of change it up because I am not a person of like I don't I don't like repetition too much. Right. Mm. I get pregnant lady cravings. So one night I want. I want one thing the next night. And this is a great, fast, and easy way to do it. So go show them all the love. Big thank you to you, Kim, for coming on and just playing with me and talking with me and, and you know, letting me be a holder of your story um, and entrusting me with that duty. Um, it is a great honor to have you here again. Thank you so much, Boo. This was so fun. <laughs> this was, you have to come back anytime you want. You want, you, you may have to co host this shit out with me. All right. Uh, in your mouth, listeners, well, um, dare I say you are allowed now to eat pumpkin and pumpkin spice flavored things. We're just going to give into it, right? Break out the comfy sweaters, the cold girl sweaters with the holes in the, in the wrists and, and your big teacups for, you know, your apple cider with the cinnamon stick. And it's sweater weather. Sweater weather's coming, right? That's all I have to say. That's all I got left for you. I really... <laughs> and other than that, as always... Thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth.